John chapter 15, beginning in verse 17. Listen, the Lord said this. He's speaking to his intimate group, small group of disciples. They've been at the Last Supper. They're making their way now to the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way he's speaking to them, one of the things he says is recorded here. This I command you, here it is, that you love one another. Well, they, we have heard this before. In fact, if you think back to John chapter 13, 35, which though it's two chapters prior, in terms of time is just an hour or so before what we're reading now. There the Lord said, by this, love shown to one another, will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this is a bit of a mystery, but somehow the Lord says, uh, we as Christians can be made known to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in such fashion so that non-believers see we belong to him, and the way we do it is by showing love for one another. So our beliefs, our theology, our doctrine is very, very important. But what the outside world evaluates when they see us has to do with how we treat one another. When they see us at odds with one another, the guys, some of the guys, Hellfighters and I were talking earlier, when we feel the lib liberty and luxury as Christians to depart from one another, the world takes note of that. And even though our theology may be intact, they're seeing that relationally we're no different than anybody else. And so this Jesus, who we claim to be our common Lord and Savior, seems not to have holding power. We seem to split up from one another quite often. And therefore, we're not offering to them proof that he's made a difference in our lives. And so followers of the Lord Jesus will not only love him, but they will love one another. Why? Well, if we say we love the Lord, then it's expected that we would love those whom the Lord loves. And he loves every one of his sons and daughters those whom he has redeemed, even the difficult ones. But this uh, mandate to love one another, let's be honest, just for a minute, not for too long, uh, but just for a minute, that's a tough one to obey, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it doesn't come naturally. We generally don't love people who are different from us. That's why we usually stay with those who are like us, you see. But the diversity in the body of Christ is a real challenge. You see, I'm commanded by uh, the Savior to love those brothers and sisters, though they be different than me. And to be frank with you, that doesn't come naturally. How am I going to do it? Uh, I get the impression the Lord Jesus is commanding us to do something neither you nor I really have the inherent power to do. And, and, and that's true. But the Lord Jesus can and will enable us to do whatever it is he commands us to do. So if he commands us to love one another, notice it doesn't say thou shalt like one another. That doesn't have to be the case. But we are commanded to love one another. And the Lord Jesus never requires of us that which he doesn't enable us to do. So one of the marks of true regeneration is a new attitude, not just towards Jesus, but towards other Christians, even those who are different than us. 
So with just a few hours left, the Lord has spoken to his followers about love, and now, by way of very stark contrast, he speaks to them about hate. You can see this in the next verse, verse 18. If the world hates you, it can be translated, since the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So the Lord is being intensely honest with them. He's not deceiving them into thinking following Jesus is going to be easy at all. He tells his followers uh, that they are to be known by their love, but that the world outside of Christ will be known by its hate. Why? It's because union with Christ, though it brings benefits, let's be honest, it also brings burdens. In fact, union with Christ may bring hatred and persecution upon us. He's quite honest about this here in verse 18. He tells them the world has hated him first, and it will hate his followers also, specifically because his followers are connected to him. Now, most people, apart from Christ, would deny that they hate him. What they will say is, I don't believe in him, but I do not hate him. And yet, to deny Christ is that very thing. It is to hate Christ. In fact, he himself said something like this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. So when it comes to Jesus, you have to take sides. There's no neutral position. There's, you either love him or you, in effect, hate him. And those who hate him hate those whom he happens to love. And so a follower of Jesus, we just have to know this, may be subject to disdain and opposition and hatred on the part of those who hate the Savior we have just paused to worship in song a few moments ago. This is not new. Christians from the outset, from the beginning, have experienced the hatred of the world. Many, in fact, have died because of their connection to Jesus Christ. In fact, those who study worldwide persecution of Christians have reported, think about this, that every single day, one in nine Christians around the world faces high levels of persecution merely because they are followers of Jesus. So if you do the math, I didn't, but I'm borrowing this from someone, that amounts daily to severe persecution being experienced by 245 million of our brothers and sisters around the world. In fact, it's been calculated that more believers have been martyred for Christ in this century, the one we live in, than in all previous centuries combined. Well, the Lord Jesus told his followers about this beforehand. In fact, he said they are to be known by love for one another, but that the world will be known by its hatred for them. Our State Department, in fact, currently lists more than 70 countries where persecution of Christians is either promoted or permitted, 70 countries. So you and I have been blessed with a radically changed relationship with Almighty God. 
He has called us. We read this in the prior verses. He calls us now his friends, not his outcasts or adversaries. He calls us his friends. Yet our changed relationship with God has brought about, at the same time, a radically changed and different relationship with everybody else as well. And the Lord Jesus is being quite honest and upfront about this. Perhaps you yourself have sensed, uh, with regard to some of your own family and friends, that they are now treating you differently. Maybe they don't invite you over quite as readily. Maybe they don't talk to you as they used to. Maybe they're flat out disgusted with you. Why is it that people hate this Jesus who we have come to love? I suppose there are many reasons, but three have come to my mind, and I'd like to share these with you, see what you think. I think one of the reasons why people have an intense hatred for Jesus is because he exposes their sin. And people don't like their sinfulness exposed. Earlier on in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, uh, if you can remember back that far, John said, this is the judgment, that the light, that's Jesus, has come into the world, and Men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Well, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds, you see, will be exposed. And so people love the darkness because of what it conceals, and people resent Jesus because of what he reveals. Oftentimes, in interacting with people about the Lord, you will hear objections to the gospel like, but isn't the Bible full of errors? Or what about all the sincere people of other faiths? Are they going to hell merely because they've rejected your Jesus? Or maybe you've heard this one. How could he be so good when you consider all the evil and suffering in the world? Now, though those are valid objections which have to be addressed, uh, not a one of them is what really keeps a person from Jesus. In fact, they're smoke screens. They're distractions away from the main issue. And the main issue is this. People love their sin. That's why we do it. So John says the light has come into the world and men love the darkness. Love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So people reject Jesus, who is the remedy for our sins, because Jesus, who is the light, exposes our sins, and nobody likes that. So John says, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I lived in Chicago with my wife and kids a long time ago. We lived in an apartment building. And it's very interesting, the roaches there take over. And if you spray your place, they'll outsmart you. They'll just take a little break until whatever it is you spray dissipates. They'll go next door to the next door neighbor, you see, till the coast is clear and then they'll come back. They're real tricky. They're not like Texas roaches. With all due respect to my fellow Texans, Texas roaches are really stupid. They just kind of lie there. And they're big. Everything's big in Texas. Chicago roaches are much smaller, swifter. Texas roaches are big, ugly, and stupid. They just sit there. You can just really come. You don't have to sneak up upon them. 
It can be broad daylight. They're not running. They're not hiding. They're just saying, you look at this. I'm having to, this is a good day to die. And, and you just put them out of their misery, that kind of deal. And then you got to clean off your shoe for the next half hour. But the roaches in Chicago were really, really tricky. I remember uh, the lights being out in our kitchen in the apartment we lived in in Chicago. And then I'd go in the kitchen to sneak something out of the refrigerator while my wife wasn't looking. And uh, I turn on the light, and there go the roaches. They're all over the place laughing at you, kind of like, catch me if you can. Now, uh, they were mocking me, but they hated the light. As soon as the light was on, they ran for cover. And frankly, the roaches really reflect human nature. That's what we're prone to do. Jesus is the light, and we don't like uh, the fact that he illumines our sin and therefore, we prefer to hide out in the darkness so that our evil deeds would be concealed and not revealed. Now, something happens when a person chooses the darkness rather than the light. It's very interesting. That person doesn't leave the light alone. No, no, no. The light is such an irritant for that person. Uh, that person must do what he could to put the light out, to extinguish the light. So then... That's what's behind people's hatred, it seems to me, to Jesus, who is the light of the world, because they like their sins and they don't want Jesus, the light, to expose them. Now, there's a second reason why I think people have such an intense hatred for him. It's this. He claims to be Lord. He claims to have a right to us. He claims to be sovereign and worthy of worship. Uh, he wants to be Lord of our lives, and yet we want to be Lord of our own lives. It's as if we have a throne on the inside, and we want to occupy it. We don't want to step down and let him occupy the throne of our lives. We have this craving for autonomy. That means independence uh, from Almighty God. We'd rather be masters of our own destiny, and here comes Jesus claiming, I am the Lord. Above all lords, I have a right to you. I made you. And uh, you owe me yieldedness and submission. Well, that's the second reason why people hate Jesus. And here's the third, it seems to me, why people hate Jesus. It's because of his narrow and intolerant and exclusive claim as stated in places in the Bible like John 14, 6, which you're familiar with. He said, I am the way. And the, not a truth, the truth and the life, and listen to this. He said, nobody, no one comes to the Father but by me. I think there are five words which cause people to be more disgusted than any I know. And it's these five words. Jesus is the only way. They go crazy. He's the only way to be forgiven. He's the only way to be saved. He's the only way to gain entrance into heaven. People hate that. They hate the exclusivity of Jesus. It drives them crazy. In this world of toleration, tolerant people are, are able to tolerate everything except the so-called intolerance of Christians who claim Jesus is the only way. So many may accept your faith and mine 
in the Lord Jesus, but far fewer accept this narrow statement that he must be accepted by everyone in order for people to be saved. So these five words, Jesus is the only way, you know what it does in one fell swoop? It dismisses all other approaches to God. It invalidates every world religion and faith group. Think about it. Powerful words. To declare that Jesus is the only way and that every other way is wrong causes people to go ballistic. It sets people off. So then, I think these are three reasons why people hate the one who is the good shepherd. One, he exposes their sin. Two, he requires their submission to his lordship. And three, he's the only way to be right with God. Well, I can understand, perhaps you can, why people hate Jesus. What I don't get is why do people hate those who are followers of Jesus? Well, the answer is for the same three reasons I just gave you. We remind unsaved people of their sin. We remind unsaved people that Jesus is Lord. And we remind unsaved people that Jesus is the only way. And therefore, as they hate him, they hate us. And the Lord, furthermore, has something else to say by way of explanation as to why Christians are hated. Here it is in verse 19. He said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. So we are for sure in this world, but just as sure we are not of this world. Where are we? Well, our citizenship is in heaven, and as a result, because our citizenship in heaven, is in heaven. We look at things from heaven's perspective. This is new. And it gives us a radically different worldview. And the world resents our heavenly worldview. Let me illustrate. Just earlier today, before I came here, I simply went online to read some of today's headlines from a Christian source. This isn't a cumulative collection of things over the years. Just today, I want to show you the conflict between our heavenly perspective and that worldview which unsaved people possess. Listen just to the headlines. Christian school leaves athletic conference over transgender policy that harms girls and ignores biology. Former USC, that's University of Southern California, former USC football player says teammates shredded the Bibles he gifted them. It's a complete, these are all different headlines, it's a complete lottery how Sweden condemns Christians to their death. Christian genocide in Nigeria, five facts you need to know. Day of mourning to be held in Virginia's capital to protest Governor Northam's infanticide remarks. Transgender group activist drops police complaint against Christian for misgendering an adult child. Pro-life activists win right to protest outside Ohio abortion clinic. Google banned Christian YouTube ad on homosexuality after backlash from employees. 
Christian bed and breakfast must serve same-sex couples, so says the Supreme Court. Christian students suspended for posting Bible verses in response to LGBT posters. Coptic Christians, Christians in Egypt, beheaded by ISIS in video credited with miracles in hometown. Cornell University disinvites black Christian pro-life speaker because she believes in biblical marriage. Michigan bars Christian adoption agencies from refusing LGBT couples after legal settlement. That's today's news. You know what it tells me? We have conflicting worldviews. It is, as the Lord says, you're in this place, but you're not of it. You're physically here, but spiritually, your citizenship is in heaven. And when you accepted me, I didn't just save you from your sin. I saved you from your stinking thinking. You got my mind, and my mind has suggested to you a totally different perspective on things like abortion and marriage and all these other things. But the world hates that. Because the world isn't, you know what the world is intent on doing? Putting pressure on those with an opposing point of view to conform. That's what it wants to do. And yet at the same time, with reference to that pressure to conform, God had Paul, the apostle, say this on one occasion. It's in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so can you see the rub? People who are Christ's are not fitting in. I don't care how relevant we try to be. Once you take a stand on any of these issues I just read to you, forget it. Friction. You're an irritation, don't you see? You're an alien. You're like a stranger. Do you feel estranged from this world? I hope so. It's because you is a stranger with regard to the values of this world, not my words. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Peter calls us aliens and strangers. Yet consider this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you, again speaking of us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. What are we then? Well, you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. As I juxtapose these two verses, I find out, wait just a second. With regard to the world's perspective, we're strangers and aliens. But with regard to God, we're no longer strangers and aliens with reference to him. Now, that's worth it all, but you got to know that's going to cause conflict. The world thinks we're weird. We're strangers and aliens, and God says, oh, no, you're right at home with me. Folks, to be a friend of Jesus, and that's what he designates us to be, is to be hated by the world, and we just are going to have to accept it. We're no longer of the world. As the text here in Ephesians says, we're fellow citizens with whom? With all believers and are members of God's household. We're flat out different, and the world reacts. Has anyone ever said to you, 
someone who knew you in your pre-Christian days now knows you to be different. Has that person ever said, what is wrong with you? Or why don't you go drinking with us anymore? That happened to me. Why won't you cheat on your tax returns? I don't mean to step on the toes of those who still are, but we're really not supposed to. Why won't you cuss like the rest of us? Why don't you recognize the validity of same-sex marriage? What if two consenting adults love each other? You know, that kind of thing. Why won't you support and encourage an unplanned pregnancy to end in abortion? Why don't you see the legitimacy of it? Why won't you just have sex with anyone you want to in spite of the fact that you're married to somebody? Why won't you sleep in on Sunday instead of going to church? Well, man, I just messed up this next Sunday for you, didn't I? Why won't you go to that X or even R-rated movie with us? Why won't you gamble with your hard-earned money? <laughs> Folks, it's a different... We're not trying to lord it over anyone. We're not trying to lay our trip on anyone. Just being who we is points out the discrepancy in the lives of those with a worldview that is not heavenly and of Christ, and it's going to cause a rub. And once again, you could try to be the nicest person in the world, but if your citizenship is in heaven sooner or later, when you weigh in on one of these topics, whoa, look out. And so the Lord, in continuing during his last hours to try to help his followers to be more prepared for the inevitability of persecution, he says this in verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you, and here it is, a slave is not greater than his master. In other words, people do not normally treat a master's slave better than they treat the master. And so the Lord is essentially saying, since unbelievers have already persecuted me, your master, why are you so shocked and surprised when they persecute you, the slave is not greater than the master. So he's saying how people treat me is pretty much how they will treat you. And so he goes on to say in verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And then this next phrase, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And embedded in this not such good news is a very hopeful phrase if you slow down to think about it. Because it allows for the fact that resistance to our Christ is not inevitable because some who have kept, shown a willingness to keep the Lord's word will keep yours also. That is a very hopeful declaration to keep us going as ambassadors for Christ, willing to share the gospel. Because some people in the world, and by the way, such were all of us at one point, will respond to Jesus' word of grace as delivered by ones like you and I, and they can end up getting saved like you and I. But, says the Lord in verse 21, all these things they'll do to you for my name's sake. You know what he says? Don't take it personally. You see, they do not know the one who sent me. 
People reject Jesus because they don't really know God. They may be plenty religious, but they really don't know the God who authorized God the Son to come and to serve in a mission of redemption. They don't get it. And because of the close unity, you see, between Jesus and us, people who reject Jesus will reject us as well. That's the way it is. In fact, he says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they, they would not have sin. Now, don't misunderstand this. They have sin. But if Jesus sent by the Father did not come to do and say what he did, they might be able to make the excuse, we didn't know stealing is sin. We didn't know adultery is sin. No, 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 no. But the Lord Jesus essentially says now they have no excuse for their sin because I came and exposed the nature of their sin. If I was not here, I suppose they can fib and make it look like, well, we just didn't know. We plead ignorance. But they cannot plead that. They, they are in trouble not for lack of information. They're in trouble because of a hard heart. And so he says in verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. They, they, they might be able to come up with the excuse. We had, no, we had no message about our sin. But now he says, they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. You know, you read all this. I feel like apologizing, but how can I apologize for God's word? Because this is not a very encouraging text. And yet this phrase here, this last verse, they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law, tells me, in spite of the opposition of the world to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to us, uh, the world can't get in the way of the Lord's ultimate sovereign redemptive purposes. They can't mess around. Why? Because God's plans and purposes are a function of his sovereignty and authority and no creaturely being hateful though he or she may be, can interfere with the ultimate will of Almighty God. In fact, he says, the very hatred of the world towards me, says the Lord Jesus, is in fact the fulfillment of what is contained in Scripture. And so he declares, they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. And he quotes it here, they hated me without a cause. He's probably invoking Psalm 69.4, which in his original context has to do with the irrational hatred of people towards King David. And the Lord is essentially saying, if people manifested an irrational hatred towards King David, how much more? Well, their irrational hatred towards me, King Jesus, take place. And so those who rage against God are actually and unknowingly doing so in fulfillment of his word. So as we draw to a close, let me just say my fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, I guess the point of this passage of scripture is that we are to expect a measure of contempt and of hatred, and even of persecution from the world in which we live, and it cannot be avoided. However, here's the point, make sure any mistreatment you may receive comes from your identification with Christ and not from your wrongdoing. In this respect, let me close with the words of Peter found in 1 Peter chapter 4, Verses 14 to 16, words which I think we ought to heed. Here, here's what he said. 
If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. We are called Christians. What an honor. Followers of Christ. It's a huge blessing, and it bears with it a burden. That's what it means to abide in Christ and to be united with him. If they hate our Savior, they will hate us as well. That's normative. That is the normal Christian life. And the Lord is quite honest about it. We ought to accept it. Unless you go undercover and deny the heavenly perspective or deny your affiliation with Christ. But if you do that, you will soon find yourself to be a very miserable person. You will not be able to do it. You cannot keep quiet about a Savior who's taken up his abode graciously and mercifully in your puny old life. You cannot be quiet about a Savior who loves you to the end, who's cast all your sins behind his back. There's nowhere for you to go for who but Jesus has words of eternal life. And at a certain point, you say, if I had to choose a friendship with Jesus, even if it meant the hatred of the world, I'll choose friendship with Jesus. We get to the point where we see, especially in the course of being persecuted, we see the value of knowing Christ Jesus. Persecuted Christians around the world are known for praising God even at the point of death. It's an amazing spiritual endowment, not needed by those of us who are denying our faith, but those of us who refuse to compromise or deny our allegiance with the Lord Jesus Christ will find his special grace to help us rejoice even during times of persecution. Now, don't put yourself down if nobody is threatening to lop off your head uh, the degree or the kind of persecution we're experiencing here, though it be different, perhaps less severe, is just as real. Do not hide and do not deny your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has befriended us. And that's worth more than everything else. To have the smile of Almighty God is worth the frown of the world. Folks, we cannot afford to be lukewarm nor compromised Christians out there and expect folks to value our Christ. They're looking for us to value him above all things, including our promotion, our employment, our reputation, our popularity. Those are idols not worth bowing down to because they cannot meet our needs. But the Savior says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Savior says, I love you to the uttermost. You shall always have my grace and mercy. The Savior says, I've prepared a place for you. And at the end of whatever may be the course of your life, the best is yet to come, for you will be with me forever. In all worldly attachments, 
won't matter at that point. It'll all be left behind. I don't want to sell my birthright for a mess of pottage as did Esau in the Old Testament. I don't want to sacrifice my communion and identification with Christ in order to win the popularity of the world. We Christians have run the experiment of being relevant, and it hasn't worked. We've succeeded in being so relevant that the world can't see us to be distinctively different. We fit in. We look just like them. We dress like them. We speak like them. We engage in the same form of entertainments as they do on and on and on. But the Lord Jesus says, come out from among them. He doesn't say to be weird, but he does say, you're an alien and stranger in that particular place. And it's as if you're going to a foreign country and you don't speak the same language. And that's why people look at you as if you're foreign. Don't try to fit in if it means denying the Lord Jesus Christ who unashamedly said, you can take my name, you can call yourself after my name, you can call yourself a Christ one. I'm unashamed of my connection with you. Don't be unashamed of your connection with me. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment to be bold to be consistent, to live here as, as a citizen of heaven, to avoid compromise. Would you stand to your feet? Let's make this a matter of prayer as we take leave of one another. I'm going to give you just a second or two to do a little bit of a personal inventory. Take stock. See if God is speaking to your heart. Of course, he loves you if you're his no matter what. But is there something you're holding back? Are you denying proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ because you don't want to offend this one or sever a relationship with that one? Are you engaged in certain habits? Have you embraced certain ideologies, thinking of the world that you know to be discrepant from Scripture? The Bible is clear on the sanctity of life. The Bible is clear on what biblical marriage is. The Bible is clear, clear, clear on all things. Those are not political issues. Don't reduce them to that. Those are biblical issues. If you've compromised in any way because you don't want to lose a relationship with a friend or family member, nobody does. But the compromise is not worth sustaining the relationship. This Jesus who says, I've latched onto you and will not let you go once again. If he's not ashamed to call us his own, let's not be ashamed to do things his way. Take a moment or two, would you? Just bow your head, close your eyes, transact some private business with the Lord Jesus Christ, settle some business, confess some sin, leave this place as an uncompromised Christian.
thank you, Lord Jesus, for having us unashamedly. Put it within us to unashamedly have you in the public square. Oh, God, to impact on it, not be conformed to it. For this, we need your help. No, God, I think the source of it is not for us to be afraid of you, but to be enveloped by your grace and mercy. Why would we want to deny you who loves us most? This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.